Hey, Summer Moves on. I hope you're having a great one. And thank you for finding us wherever you get your uh, podcast. It is the DC Sports Huddle. I'm Dave Johnson, Rob Woodford, uh, Dave Preston. George Wallace is on vacation. Deserved. We are sponsored by MGM National Harbor. For the latest in Washington sports, visit MGM National Harbor and experience a sports fans in par- a paradise. A sports fans paradise, that would be. Maybe that's what George Wallace is doing, and maybe we can debate about whether his vacation is deserved or not. But we have a home run derby champion, the second national to win the home run derby. The other was Bryce Harper. Both left town shortly after. It seems like deja vu all over again, to quote the great Yogi Bear. But before we get going on some of the, the, the serious machinations of the Juan Soto situation, he wins a home run derby. The home run derby, if the game had been tied, the all-star game had been tied, would have been a home run derby to decide it. So they're, they're trying to give the home run derby uh, new legs, new life. Uh, what, what is our favorite skills cop? Do we still love the home run derby? I tried to watch all two hours and some the other night of it. Do we? Is it the NBA slam dunk? Or did once Dr. J retired and Michael Jordan, was, is that gone? So Dave Preston, I see you smiling. What? Do you have a favorite competition, a skills competition? You know, I, I loved the NBA slam dunk competition until guys started opting out in the late 80s, early 90s. This takes us back a long time. I love the three-point shot. You know, that, that that's awesome as well. Home run derby, I wish they could make it go by quicker or maybe tape, or massage it in a manner that it, there's quicker resolution to it. But I had a chance to witness the home run derby four years ago when Bryce Harper won it at Nationals Park. It was definitely thrilling, and it was awesome to watch uh, Monday evening. I think the best skills competition that we've got because, you know, we all can't – not all of us can dunk. I'm going to speak for myself or even hit threes. I could probably do the screen-setting competition or, you know, or passing to the outlet man competition. But but everyone in wiffle ball, you you hit the ball at least once a long ways. So I think you know, the home run still captures our imagination. I think that the home run derby is still the best skills competition. Is it the best run competition? No, but it's the one that causes the most imagination in myself. All right. And you know what? The one thing I wanted to say about the other night, and they did a wonderful job ESPN and, and Carl Ravitch does a wonderful job, but there were times because they had that split screen, you see the eye swing and you'd also see sort of where it went. And there were a couple of times they called the home runs that were, weren't home runs and it confused me and kind of threw me off. So it was a little bit just, just jarring. I'm not even sure if that's a word, but it's a summertime word. Rob Woodfork, where are we going with this? Uh, first of all, it, and actually I posed this question to Sean and Hillary on the air the other day, and we all said the home run derby, but I give it this uh, caveat is that it's the home run derby today in 2022, the dunk contest to me, I mean, that was my lifeblood when I was a kid growing up in the 90s. And so really for me, the dunk contest kind of died after uh, Vince Carter's amazing performance in the 2000 All-Star uh, weekend. After that, it starts to lack creativity. There's only so many things that you can do with a dunk at this point. And I feel like we've pretty much seen it all. Uh, now it's pretty gimmicky and uh, and they can't grade it accordingly and all of that. So the home run derby is just, uh, you know, it's it's a great display of power hitting and prowess. It, it kind of screws with the guy's, uh, with the guy's swing, I guess, uh, for some point. So hopefully Juan Soto doesn't have a, a lackluster second half because of that. But uh, I, I would say today the home run derby, although the 13-year-old Rob 
would probably take a swing on me for saying that. Right, and and I-, I hate to jump in, but you talk about how you wonder if it's going to mess up with Soto. Last year, he participated in the home run derby. I think he hit 19 of his 29 homers after the All-Star break. He also hit 348 after the All-Star break. So he wasn't just hitting for power uh, after the Midsummer Classic. Hopefully, with he's able to turn this into some mojo and, uh, and go from there. All right. It would have been a national uniform. <laughs> yeah, well, that's another story. I, I'm going to throw in something totally different, but as we have these quirks that sometimes settle things in sports, I wish in soccer, instead of penalty kicks, they would decide it with an American invention, the shootout, where one player starts from the 35-yard line, and the goalkeeper obviously starts from the goal line, and they both move. And to me, it's more of a skills competition as opposed to, to a, a lottery, there's always the debate, did the goalkeeper move before the shot? Uh, you know, now they're letting the, the the kicker stutter step and juke and do all this kind of stuff. Stop it. Just blow a whistle. They both move, and, and it's more of a skills competition, and that could settle big games. And often penalty kicks do settle big games that are so tight. Like and the soccer. women's game the other night. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> right. So have a shootout. And it, it was something that was developed by the Americans in the late 70s in the old North American Soccer League, but because we developed it, I, I don't think they'll ever go to it, but they should go to the shootout, just like Major League Soccer started with to decide ties. All right, as we talk about, I want to get this out, as we're talking about changes to sports or tinkering with things, you know, Major League Baseball, Major League Baseball is talking about the pitch clock is coming, is coming. Now, how do we feel about that? They say in minor leagues, uh, they've cut down a half hour to games. To about two hours and 37 minutes by use of the pitch clock. Is that what we want to see in, in baseball? Of course. <laughs> I think speed, he, up the, yes. speed up the game. I mean, look, we have the shot clock in basketball. You have the play clock in football. Why wouldn't you have a pitch clock in baseball? This is my biggest gripe with baseball, actually, is that you it, it, above all of the uh, major sports in this country, it seems like baseball has the biggest resistance to change. And it's just like, just because it happened in 1892 or whatever, doesn't mean that it's good in 2022. So if you have a way to make your game better and to make it more aesthetically pleasing and to make the games uh, progress a little faster and, and, and in some respects uh, uh, create more of a, a, you know, a, a, of a competitive challenge, then why not do it? All right. Dave Preston. I would welcome it. Uh, What's Bob Ryan, uh, former Boston Globe writer. He still does some work for them, does some work for ESPN. He is releasing, he's releasing a book about uh, the one year that he covered the Sox in the seventies where he was their beat writer. And he included a lot of old scorecards and how to keep score. This, that, the other thing. And you look at some of the times, two hours, 35 minutes, two hours, five minutes, an hour, I mean, an hour 52. And we don't have those games now. No. When I go cover a, a, a Nationals game for WTOP, I'm pretty much booking three hours. I'm like, okay, if it starts at 7.05, we hope to get done by 10, if we're lucky. And very mm-hmm. often, that will go until, you know, three and a half hours, sometimes even four hours, depending on what's happening. I think the pitch clock is a great idea because you need to create constant motion. You need to keep the game moving forward. The game can be so stagnant. And, and that's that's just where you die uh, mentally, and you're trying to okay. stay in touch with the action. All right. There was obviously no pitch clock in the 70s. So the, the reason yeah. just there weren't as many pitching changes. Guys move quicker, fewer pitching changes. Also, guys move quicker. 
Uh, there was fewer, no more Garcia Parra wasn't around adjusting his wristbands and hat and giving himself fist bumps all the way through. That right. was annoying. The, well, there is more to adjust, more sponsored right. things to get in there, sponsored True. gloves, sponsored elbow pads. That you, yeah. you gotta, so, well, it's apparently coming in, in robo umpires. Right. Are we, do we want that? I, I think if they handled it like they do at Wimbledon, where you do have a, an umpire, a linesman, someone who is you know looking, but then also if you if the umpire, because we've seen a lot of strike zones that are egregiously bad, and there are a lot of issues with umpires. Their union is so powerful. They have these guys who are probably umpiring, you know, two, three years after they should be demoted or let go or moved into administrative duties, we'll call it. It's it's tough to get rid of bad umpires. And there are quite a few. And the consistency of strike zones is not there. And I don't think uh, batters and pitchers, I don't think they care if they've got a big strike zone or a small strike zone to deal with. They just want consistency. And we've seen, especially with the pitch trackers now, 21st century technology, we can see, you know, exactly if the call was right or if the call was off. I think a, a batter or a pitcher, you know, can ha- maybe is allowed a challenge or two where they go to the video like they do at Wimbledon when they want to see if the ball's in or out. Right. Okay. I would agree with that. I Keep real umpires. Yeah. Keep real umpires. But you're allowed a certain number of challenges, which now that you have a pitch clock, will slow down the game and all the progress you made from a pitch clock will be slowed down by challenges of, of the strike zone. So I just uh, argued myself out of uh, uh, some logic, but that's, that's okay. Uh, but no, I, I do think umpires need to be kept. I really don't want to go so far that we lose the, the human element. And that, that and especially in, in baseball, I think a, a certain umpire, the way he calls strikes, as you said, consistency is the key. And, and so, uh, but you want that that author on the game uh, of the umpires because they've always been a part of the game. Rob Woodford. No, I mean, you're right. I, I think you do need to keep the human umpires, but there's got to be a way to sort of bridge the gap there or sort of meet halfway where you're using technology to help the human umpires make better and more consistent calls. And some of that is on them, obviously. And, you know, just like you said, like people's strike zones are different depending on the guy, but um, you know, if there's a way to uh, properly gauge that with uh, using technology, then uh, I, I absolutely you should keep the human umpires and just uh, uh, give them as, as many resources as possible. Okay, so let, why don't we get computers for weathermen so we can help them? Oh, that's right. We already have that. And that's not working. All right. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that if, if you're going to have, uh, you know, robotic umpires, why not just use a pitching machine? Why, why not just give every team a pitching machine? to work with, put that on the mound and fire that up. I mean, right. that would jack up scores. Well, I, so. I, I, I love pitching machines in little league baseball practice. Cause that was fun to hit. Then when you at 10 years old, went against some kid who was trying to sew as hard as he could, but had no control. He ended up getting hit. So it was yeah. not as much fun as a, as a pitching machine. All right. We buried the, uh, the, the subject that we, everyone's going to be talking about for a while. The ones, what do we make of this this one Soto uh, uh, situation? It clearly seems to me that that, uh, that that obviously it's real that this team is for sale. That that this needs to get be resolved before there's any kind of sale. New, a new owner does not want to come in uh, with, with with the Soto contract not resolved, uh, one way or the other. Whether a new contract or a trade, the first thing a new owner comes in, he does not want to be, or he or she does not want to be the person that says, "Ah, I'm I'm the one who." got rid of Juan Soto or didn't re-sign uh, Juan Soto. 
Uh, we seem like we're at an impasse, but also uh, we're also smart enough to know that sometimes when it gets uh, loud and noisy, that's when you're closest to a deal. That might not be the case here, but it's worth noting. Guys, your take. I think the what the, the 15 years, $440 million, I'm not going to say it's a ridiculous offer because it is a ton of money. But when you were smart enough in 2022 to be able to do some simple math, and we kind of know that that's under $30 million a year. And the going rate for the elite players, of which Juan Soto is a part of, is $30 million a year plus. Now, I think if you shave two or three years off of that, maybe $440 million over 12 seasons, that sounds like a fair deal right there. Or bump them up to $500 million for 15. Uh, that would be your 14. That would be something as well. I think, uh, I think the agents, Scott Boris, would love to have baseball's first $500 million man. And I think Juan Soto is going to be that guy, whether he gets that deal here or whether he gets it somewhere else. So it's just a question of, you know, do the learners and does the current, you know, brain trust, do they think that they can sign uh, Soto for that amount of money over that amount of time and hamstring themselves elsewhere. Because even though this is Washington, a top 10 market, it's not New York. It's not LA. It's not silly, silly money. They're not, you know, they're, they're not, there are budgetary restrictions, even though this is not a salary cap league. So it's, this is going to be, a, this is going to be the dark cloud in the sky of the nationals uh, skyline until either they trade him, until they sign him, or, or until he walks away. And I think the way things are going, I think he, I think he might be gone, perhaps this offseason. I don't think he goes between now and the trading deadline because so many things, so many ducks in a row need to be handled as far as who you're getting back for him. I think he's gone by this off. I think he's gone at some point in time in this offseason. Rob Woodford. Oh, boy. So here's uh... – <laughs> Here, here's my take on this. First of all, you have to do whatever it takes to keep Juan Soto because he's the face of the franchise. He's got the megawatt smile. And, you you know, you need a guy like that. You need a face of the franchise, especially when you're doing this rebuild. Sports, we've bemoaned this a lot uh, uh, many times here. Sports is a business. So you can't, you know, in terms of selling the team, in terms of selling this team on the fan base that is still growing and you're still trying to cultivate – you got to have a guy that you can uh, that you can rally around, especially when you're going through a painful rebuild. So if you have to cut a five hundred million dollar check, you have to cut a five hundred million dollar check. I just had to do the math to see if 15, uh, 15 years, five hundred million still works out to market value. That's about thirty three uh, million annual, uh, um, you know, average. So that's certainly something that I don't I don't think he would sneeze at. So. I think you need to, whatever it takes. As a matter of fact, even if you have to give him a Bobby Bonilla deal and keep paying him into his 70s, you do that because he is a generational talent. Mike Rizzo could do this into his hundreds Mm. and never find a guy like uh, Juan Soto again. But that said, if Juan Soto just doesn't want to be in Washington anymore for whatever reason, we saw the report about the, you know, the uh, Nationals wouldn't charter a flight for him to the All-Star game. So if the if for whatever reason, the uh, just the dynamic has soured and he just wants out of Washington, then, you know, maybe St. Louis makes a lot of sense. They've got a prospect, Jordan Walker, who's got a big arm, big bat, and uh, Washington hasn't adequately uh, addressed the third base situation since Rendon left. 
and uh, the Dodgers have the best farm system in the majors. Maybe you can raid their pantry again, like you did last year. So um, those are two instances that I'm not super wild about because I don't want to see him in those colors, but that's a break glass in case of emergency sort of situation to trade him. I think you do whatever you have to do. If you have to put a blank check in front of him, you keep him. Well, I, I agree that, that you keep him for a number of reasons. He makes the franchise uh, more valuable, I think, to somebody purchasing. You're coming in with a, with a face of a franchise uh, along with the, uh, you know other things. But and, and I believe this ownership group has shown that, that they're, they're willing to do it. When you think about the Max Scherzer contract, and at the time people thought, wait a minute, $21 million a year, that seems like, well, it seemed, turned out to be a, a, a very good uh, contract for, for Max Scherzer. So uh, I still believe to what Dave Preston was talking about, that you, you do shave a couple of years off one way. Do you, do you add some more uh, the other way? I, I think <laughs> there, there, there's a ballpark of fairness that they're playing in here that, that the gap can be bridged. And I believe that he would be okay with staying here. I don't subscribe to the theory uh, that, that he's, uh, you know, pointing to a place where he wants to go that, where he can win now. He's, he's 23 years old. He's already, experienced uh, uh, what it's like. That doesn't mean that's the only World Series he wants. I, I'm not saying that. I, I just think that, that you know, he's never said he wants out of here because he doesn't want to be part of a rebuild. He's got time of his career to be a part uh, of a rebuild. And as we've also seen, uh, look what, what's going on with the Orioles right now. Yes, it was painful. Yes, uh, it took a few years, but it didn't take 20 years. I mean, the Orioles, you know, were a playoff team what was the last time? 2014, 2015, somewhere 2016. in there. 2016. Okay. Wild card, my, yeah. my point being is I, I think the Orioles are, are definitely on the right track right now. They have a lot of young talent and they've gone through the pain. And now, you know, they're seeing the benefits of, of surviving that pain and, and developing their farm system in, in the proper way. But the thing is, I don't think Soto wants to be the bad guy. He saw what happened when uh, Bryce Harper left. Like the fans turn on him pretty much right away. And I only think part of it has to do with the fact that he went to the Phillies. So I, I think I, I think Soto is saying all the right things right now. I want to be here. I'm a national and all of that. But I don't know how much of that is just sort of, you know, to sort of ease the blow of him leaving as opposed to him really actually wanting to be here. And I'm not calling the guy a liar or anything like that, but I mean, he, he saw a direct, you know, we mentioned the, uh, the tie between him and uh, Bryce Harper winning the home run derby and then being gone the next year. Well, you know, he saw how, how the fans soured on him and I don't think he wants to see that happen to him. Well, and I think he's also probably seen that it's no guarantee you move to the next place and that uh, he's seeing firsthand with Bryce Harper and the, uh, the Phillies. Dave President's got lots of stuff coming up on WTLP.com. We'll look forward to that. As always, we appreciate your time in the D.C. Sports Auto. We're sponsored by the MGM National Harbor. For the latest in Washington sports, visit MGM National Harbor and experience a sports fan's paradise. We'll see you next week. Break. Break. Hey, Nissan, how do you get to the top? Calculating. Proceed to 1959. Take a hard left in East Africa at the 71 Safari Rally. Veer right for 19 off-road championships in the Baja Desert. Proceed towards Moab. Take the trail to Hell's Revenge. Include steep incline. Continue for the next million miles. Um, where to first again? 60 years, millions of miles, and the capability to take you anywhere. This is the new Nissan. 
This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup, so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.